Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast where SaaS digital ads are not just clickbait, it's innovation fishing. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help you to be SaaS founders like you who scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth and craft a business that you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you absolutely love. We are live from Hawaii in the next couple of weeks, coming up to our 100th episode, really excited about that, and our guest today as well. You know, if you think about uh, just the, the world of strategy and execution continuing to evolve, and there's a company that I think really stands out. Uh, they took a shot and hit the bullseye right where the traditional playbook was lacking. And I'm talking about a company that you probably know and use, and that is Slack. Now, workplace communication tool has become as integral to business as coffee machines and Wi-Fi. Now, I don't know if I could live without any of those three things and, and still be as productive as, as we are today. But Slack is not really your typical tech superstar. It's not like Uber or Apple. They're a quiet achiever, a company that really rode the wave of changing B2B buyers' journeys and made it work to their advantage. So what was Slack's strategy? I mean, it wasn't just to sell a product, but to create a need and then satisfy it perfectly. Uh, their tool took workplace communication out of siloed emails and into a seamless collaborative environment where it's, it's near real time. And they executed the strategy brilliantly, capitalized on the need for you know, better communication and engagement, especially in a remote work environment. They were big before and remote work just made them even bigger. In the terrain of B2B sales, we've seen a lot of shifts over the, the years, uh, especially recently. And power has shifted from the sellers with polished pitches to the buyers armed with the potent weapon of information. And, and it's, information is more accessible than ever. I mean, dissecting, evaluating I mean, every single promise that's made by a brand, yours and mine included. And as access to information has increased, attention spans have nosedived. Uh, average attention span, 2003, 12 minutes today, it's down to eight seconds. And uh, they say that, you know, goldfish have like a 10 second or nine second attention span. So we're, we're somewhere below that maybe. But it takes about 16 touches now before brand starts to even register with a buyer to, to really get in there. And they start going, hey, I recognize that. And you couple that with an unrelenting barrage of market materials, I mean, constant from all corners, leading to you know, marketing overwhelm. And we're kind of bombarded with ads everywhere. So if the landscape is changing, how do we design a buyer's journey that, uh, that doesn't feel like a relentless battle or you know, frustrate them along the way, but something that's a pleasant journey and a worthy goal, I mean, something at the end that they're really excited about. And the solution, I think, is an insightful strategic planning, developing an engaging, personalized experience, not a one-size-fits-all approach. And so for the buyer, it means really treating the buyer's time with respect. And instead of you know, inundating them with information, uh, it's offering them something of substantial value. 
So they're, they're trading their time for something that they're really getting value out of, not something that's a throwaway, not something that's just going to consume a bunch more of their time. And that's really the game that Slack played. I mean, by understanding their users, by grasping the needs and their challenges, Slack was able to redefine workplace communication. And there were some other tools before, but uh, not, not working in the same way. But they really designed a buyer's journey that users were eager to embark on. I mean, making the tool indispensable in a very short span of time. So you think about the companies that bought, I mean, small companies up to huge enterprises. Uh, but they made it very, very simple to get in and buy, and, and it just continued to, to permeate throughout the entire enterprise uh, because it was, it was so vital, so valuable to the, the business itself. And so it, it, it spread. And that's the essence of the game of strategy and execution. And as the rules evolve, our strategies have to evolve also. And as the terrain shifts, so should our plans. And game on. You know, to the victors are, are the victors are going to be the ones who can adapt, execute, and most importantly, understand their customers and deliver that value from the very beginning. If you feel like the best kept secret from your ideal clients and need help crafting that buyer's journey, check out today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group. It's the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives like you and me to continue to develop ourselves, scale our companies, and most importantly, never walk alone. Unlock untapped revenue by leveraging time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries, celebrate wins, and overcome defeats together. Confidently take that one right next step that creates your giant leap of profitable growth, premium valuation, and most importantly, freedom. Learn more at championleadership.com. Our expert guest last week was John Gumas, author of Marketing Smart and Challenger Brand Marketing. He's a true champion of challenger brands and laid out some awesome strategies for taking on industry giants and more importantly, how to win against them. Now, our founder last week was Mike Ryan, founder and CEO of SpiceX, premier low-code platform for businesses of all sizes, allows tech and non-tech firms to build quick, custom solutions without the need for extensive coding knowledge. So even somebody like me can build apps. Uh, excellent insights from a founder who was really on the front lines of innovation. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and check them out for sure. My guest this week is Marina Burishkina, founder and CEO at Growth Channel. She used her marketing expertise to help hundreds of multinational companies reshape their marketing and accelerate growth over the last decade. She's a founder with two successful exits so far. Marina has combined all of that marketing expertise with AI technology to put you in front of your ideal client so they say, I see you everywhere. Welcome, marketing magician, Marina Burshkina. Hey, Marina, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thanks, Jeff. Excited to be here. Well, tell me about Growth Channel. It's, it's pretty exciting what you guys are doing over there. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, lots of exciting stuff. As you know, AI is the big new word these days. So, yes. um, and we are, we are not really new in the space. So we've been around for about three years now. So we are an AI marketing engine that helps you identify, you know, what's working for competitors, who to target on what channels, with what content, and then efficiently target and reach your audience. It's really interesting. So how is it that it targets using AI? Yeah, great question. Well, 
In short, uh, it's really identifying and narrowing down your focus. So instead of going broad, like in most other social channels um, are today or most other platforms, it's really kind of removing lots of targeting criteria. We're actually giving you access to all of the targeting criteria so you can possibly think of. Uh, in B2B space, it could be anything from titles, you know, departments, company types. In B2C space, it could be like, what did you purchase? Which store did you go to and how often? Um, so lots of different use cases, depending on the companies, they, they use our technology differently, but it's really about figuring out and narrowing down your audience. And if you have no clue about your audience, our AI will tell you <laughs> basically <laughs> what's the best option for you to target. That's fantastic. Does it go across platforms or is it specific to one digital platform? Yeah, great question. So part of our planning module, it, it could be anything digital or, or print uh, or you know any other traditional media, pretty much any marketing channel you can possibly think of. Of course, the priority is meant towards digital because this is where we have more data. Sure. But uh, some offline uh, channels are included there too. And for activation directly through our platform, right now we have baked in programmatic advertising on premium channels. So think like, um, you know, uh, whenever you read news, CNN or Fox News or Yahoo Finance or anything like this, whenever you're uh, playing a game on your phone or uh, whenever you listen to Spotify podcasts like this one, you know, there could be a break in between for an advertisement or when you watch your favorite Hulu show or when you walk past by Times Square, you see a bunch of, you know, digital boards. So lots of different channels that wow. are included in premium on our platform. That is amazing. So you, you can literally be everywhere. Yes, exactly. You can literally target <laughs> your specific audience anywhere they go. Just very specific to your actual people you're trying to reach. I think that's really important. So it's not that you're everywhere for everyone, but that you're really showing up for your ideal target market, your audience, wherever they are. Did I get exactly. that right? Yep. You got it wow. right. So how'd you come up with the idea? Yeah, so um, I'm a marketer by profession. So I've been in the market for about 15 years. I started off in the corporate world, uh, working with Allianz Insurance uh, Global, as well as um, Philips, um, electronics and, and healthcare companies. So uh, been in that, those roles for some time. I also had my media holding uh, for over a decade, uh, which I exited three years ago before kicking off Gross Channel. But really, there are so many inefficiencies. You would just like use multiple tools. Like you would use something to do competitor research. So you'll try to figure out and build your audience. Maybe, you know, do workshop sessions, have focus groups, questionnaire service, and then try to stitch all of those different data points together, figure out the plan, hopefully in a few months. And then you'll have to figure out all the different channels you may use to even, you know, deploy all those campaigns. And then you need to redo it multiple times across all right. those channels separately. That sounds so really brought, familiar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to <laughs> most people, I think, right? It's a little painful, um, but yes, that's a very, very familiar story. Yeah, so it's really like an efficient process that just repetitive steps that you take, um, multiple different platforms and channels. It takes you forever to just get to even launch your campaigns, not to even mention optimizing it, right? Um, but overall, on our platform, it's really like simplifying and streamlining that process so you can easily get the necessary data, structure it in the right way, and then easily deploy it to actual campaigns all from one platform. So it really saves you time. You know, it optimizes the campaigns for better efficiency because it has all the data inside it without any 
you know, gaps in between. And, and it's also better optimization because it has all the data, right, uh, that it needs to, to better optimize the campaigns and make sure you are set for the, for the best start. Because there is a loop as well. Once you actually launch the campaigns, it knows, oh, this channel performed better than the other or this audience segment performed better than the other. So then for your next campaign, it tells you the better recommendation as well once you launch your next campaign. Or like, okay, this is most probably a better channel for you. And this specific audience subsegment is a better one for you as well. Um, so it's really just better marketing, data-driven. Uh, data-driven is definitely where it's at. Have you seen, when working with clients, have you seen where they're surprised at what works? Because they thought it was going to be one thing, and then the data tells them something different. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, um, we we worked with a with a quite a number of different verticals uh, thus far, but uh, definitely lots of our customers just looking at what kind of customers they uh, they get versus what kind of customers the competitors get and versus where they want to be, right, is usually actually pretty different. It's like a triangle almost. So just even learning more about their customers and then reaching that data to figure out, oh, what's their like education level? Like how many people are in their family maybe or like, or which show are they watching or what are they buying? So really like learning more about your customers kind of step one, but also trying to compare that what kind of customers actually the competitors is getting and where do I want to be? Like, is it somewhere in the middle or is it something completely different? And then figuring out the best strategy to reach in those. So how do you know that about your customers? Like what shows they like to watch? Is it something where you're actually going out and doing surveys or is that something that comes from other data sources? Yeah, so we connect with about 50 different uh, data sources right now within the channel. Um, So it's all interconnected um, and there is a, you know, uh, we tap into a huge pool of data basically, um, which has lots of uh, unique user identifiers, but also matching those to different contextual data, purchase data, um, visitor data for different locations, trying to identify not you as Jeff, but like you as user 123XYZ. Sure. And, and what you know, user Jeff and similar users like Jeff like, right? And and how do you reach them on which channels? So it's really more about learning more about the audience and trying to figure out the best strategy. Are you using intent data as well, so that you're you're trying to target people when they're ready to buy, or you're yeah. showing them things that are relevant? Yeah, so there is different types of intent data. I actually had a question from one of our clients yesterday around this. So. Um, it's slightly different than if you would be using, let's say, Zoom Info. Um, so when if you're doing B2B marketing uh, and selling to enterprises, most probably you're using Zoom Info. Maybe, maybe you should use Zoom Info. It's pretty good, I think. Yeah. Um, but basically, the intent data that Zoom Info or similar platforms would have is like, okay, I'm in the market to buy certain things, and these are other uh, you know, pixels I have on my website, so I'm using those technologies. So the way it works in our platform is slightly different for intent specifically. Uh, while we, of course, know also like what platforms your, uh, you know, target audience may be using and all that, you can still tap into it. But we also look at, okay, which events, maybe industry events you attended in the past 12 months, or what are the, you know, uh, contents that you're reading online or searching for or even talking about? Like right now, for example, we're talking, that's probably our phone is lying down right next to us, right? right. Listening to everything say. So um, basically... <laughs> no, like, don't tell like, me that. <laughs> My phone isn't listening, is it? <laughs> yeah, well... We all know, know that they are. In, indirectly. But uh, basically, like, 
lots of contextual and for contextual data, we connect with Peer39, Double Verify, and some other um, bigger companies that basically are able to tap into the contextual data on, um, you know, basically the content that we also read and consume online. Um, some strategies even include like whenever I'm reading about certain news topic or a long form keyword, right, to be able to show your ads, native ads, display ads, whatever it may be, right, right there. Right. So that's another component that's really powerful. Um, lots of insurance companies are actually utilizing this also based on like, you know, weather and other other components. Brand safety is a big one as well. So um, lots of those uh, components that uh, bigger companies are able to target um, also really granular in terms of, you know, uh, getting more users and more customers to go to their brands, but also with platforms like our, ours, like Gross Channel, uh, smaller advertisers are able to access that inventory too. So we, unlike uh, you know other bigger bigger platforms, they're like, okay, if you're not spending a million dollars, you're not welcome. So on our platform, we're actually right. welcoming smaller advertisers as well. And startups, um, as well as small business owners, uh, agencies, uh, we work a lot with agencies, actually. So, um, you know, other advertisers that maybe don't spend a million dollars um, or maybe not yet, right, uh, but are also looking to really identify and reach their audience that may be very specific audience, right, that they are not able to reach elsewhere, um, on our platform, it's really about micro-segmenting those target audiences and, and launching those micro-targeted campaigns. I think that's brilliant. So are you using your own product to target businesses to, to solicit them for Growth Channel? Yeah, we actually do. So, <laughs> I would so think so. Yeah, we are getting some good results. We are tapping into events a lot. So um, past event attendees is definitely one of one of the things that's working well for us. Intent data as well. Um, so people who use some other platforms that we know uh, we, we offer a better solution for, and I won't mention the names. Um, and um, a few other things like during the events as well. For example, this week, uh, there is SaaS talk. So we're actually um, geofencing uh, the event locations and are targeting people uh, on phone and with ads and digital at the home. So it's a great combination to have you know, mobile ads uh, as well as digital at home ads at the same time during the events while geofencing the event locations. Um, so this is another strategy that we use and definitely recommend folks to do it. It's, it's really effective. Your background is marketing. Do you have a technical co-founder that helped build and put the solutions together as well? Yeah, so um, I'm a solo founder. However, I hired a team of developers to help me Smart. put technology together. And I, uh, I'm not like a hard coder, but I, I can code some of the things myself. Oh, nice. And I review some things as well. Um, I'm kind of, you know, um, I did the business school back in the day. So I'm kind of a little bit of everywhere. So I know some, my, my depth is in marketing, but my hands are all over the place, including also like some elements of the design. And I loved chatting and nerding out with our designer as well about some of the things um, and some of the UX um, or like with the tech guys, love to kind of dive deeper into infrastructure and, you know, also review some workflows and stuff like this. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit about myself, but I'm sure most founders are like that. Yeah, I don't think so. I think most founders have, uh, you know, a much more narrow focus. So either they come from development or from marketing, but it, I think it's rare to have, you know, that well-rounded a background. So really interesting. Yeah, well, 
third business in a row. So it's kind of maybe also from that, right? So I'm from the past experience, um, kind of have been all over the place. Um, so it's most probably just the point that it's not the first uh, startup that I'm working on. Although the first tech startup. <laughs> what were the other two? Um, so the media group uh, was the previous one, and that was really kind of the biggest one so far, I would say, um, before this. Um, and yeah, that, that went actually really well, uh, ran it for about a decade. Uh, we had 17 sub-brands under it at the moment of exit, um, were present in multiple countries. Um, so that was really cool. Um, was a lot of different brands, everything from like nanotechnology to a publishing platform. Uh, one of the biggest things as well, um, was an agency arm, uh, as a part of that as well. So lots of cool stuff. Wow. So what made you you know, exit that and then start this? Did you have the idea before? Was that kind of where it was from the agency and all the different solutions that were all the disparate solutions? And now you wanted to create something that was all together? Yeah, so it's um, a little bit around some of the inefficiencies that we definitely faced during the agency time as well. Um, I think media buying was actually taking a lot of time. We had like a long spreadsheet with like a bunch of sites and the traffic sure. on the sites and an allocation and then relocation and then figuring out the data for each of those. So it was kind of painful. I would say that was most probably not the biggest pain that we had, um, but definitely one of the pains that <laughs> was taking a lot of time. We actually had a whole full-time person doing the whole thing um of that so definitely wow. like our solution at the minimum replaces you know one media buyer role most probably um but um at the same at the same time it's um you know it, it's just like the idea of putting the technology that's also scalable and making sure like um you know I, I can only make as much impact myself as a, as a human being right I'm I'm limited in my two hands and 24 sure. hours day but if you make sure that everything or most of the things that you uh you do is actually scalable and thousands of people can use you know your workflows your methodologies of doing things in the right way and make it scalable then you're impacting so many businesses at the same time so um that was kind of the idea that i had and something that i was you know really looking into um, and yeah, the idea came earlier, um, but I didn't really have as much time to work on it until COVID. <laughs> so, <laughs> That'll do um, it. Yeah. And then uh, during COVID, I was actually stuck in the US. Um, I did the YC startup school and the Pioneer tournament, which kind of got me into the rolling basis of setting targets on a weekly basis and making sure there's essential progress on the project. Um, and then because we were also stuck in the U.S. with my family, um, we, we couldn't really do much on, on the other business. So um, and we got a few offers at hand. So we just went with a with a better bid. So <laughs> it was kind of like that. It was um, the paperwork is what took most of the time. Actually, the rest didn't take as long. Sure. Um, so for the people who did the exits, they know that it takes a few months of painful <laughs> documentation uh, yes. to just finalize the process and then a few years of being in a kind of space where you're like um, you know non-compete agreements and all that other stuff they're like trying to figure out the lines of business but overall it, I think it was a great decision uh, because now we have Gross Channel which is like a full-blown business on its own and it's it's running pretty well we actually just got a nice office space that you visited recently yes, yes I did um, 
and um, growing the team right now we have over 25 people um it's really exciting times um where we're we're growing very fast so really excited about that that's really good because your background is so varied and you have experience in multiple areas and there's a lot of things you can do in the business uh, does that make it difficult to focus your time on the things that you're really good at or do you find that you know you you you're doing everything or have the temptation anyway to do everything yourself definitely have a temptation of doing everything <laughs> yeah, well, so, me too i mean it, i think all of us yeah. are, are wired that way yeah the temptation is definitely there, but now um, as the team is getting and growing, I'm also kind of trying to dedicate um, and delegate as much stuff, you know, to the other people that they sure. can do um, and really try to kind of focus on the main things like partnerships, events and strategy, innovation, investor relations and all that other stuff, right, for myself, which is actually taking a whole, like the whole day actually still, I don't feel like there's any any extra time even after delegating anything, like right. it doesn't help. <laughs> it's just like there's always more stuff that's happening that needs to be taken care of. So I would say that doesn't have any impact on my calendar schedule, <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, you know, I, I still like to be involved in some other things. And um, sometimes like I have to be involved in some other uh, smaller things. Um, but um, overall, like, yeah, um, there are still things like I have no clue about or like very little uh, background in like, for example, we are starting to work more with like nonprofits and government organizations. And I don't know much about that in those industries. Like there isn't okay. much I can ask that conversation apart from just knowing about marketing. So this is where some other colleagues of mine are taking over that conversation who have more background in that space and are able to you know, really have a proper conversation with our customers. Yeah, the big secret is most of those industries don't know anything about marketing either. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a lot to the table. <laughs> yes, without a doubt. I think it's always fun when you can you know, really bring that expertise and, and have those light bulb moments uh, explaining something to somebody. And it's it's all brand new. And it may be something in one industry, they've been doing it for years, but you take that and port it to a different industry and it's completely new and revolutionary. Yeah, definitely. I agree on that. So what th three startups now, what have you learned in the process? What are the big lessons? <laughs> yeah. So I think like delegation is definitely one. So try to delegate um, as much as you can uh, to build the team so that it's easier to scale the business. And uh, it's sometimes hard in the beginning, um, I would say, but um, definitely that's one of the things for myself that I learned. Um, for one thing that I see lots of startups do, uh, which I didn't um, experience as much, but I think it's still important to mention, uh, is that find the customers and the audience before you build something. Mm, that's um, good. Because then you're building for the audience and not for yourself um, necessarily because you may use it in one way or think about it in one way, but their market is going to be just you know very limited and thinking about it in a completely different way. Um, so to, to that actually point, uh, when we launched, um, I was... Like my background is in marketing, so I'm like, I'm going to, you know, build it for people like me. Um, so I was trying to, in the beginning, sell it to like startups and small businesses. And it was just a little too complicated for them. They didn't get it. But then we naturally started getting agencies. So that's kind sure. of how we got agencies to use our platform because it's kind of built for agencies <laughs> in an indirect <laughs> way. 
It's like, you know, built kind of for people like me, for, for people who know marketing, who understand it. Um, but it's actually a little bit harder to use for small businesses and, and startups uh, without any marketing background, which was initially the audience we were kind of targeting. So that was kind of funny, funny statement there. So definitely um, do more, I would say, conversations and research with your target audience, because if um, the audience is not exactly the same as you are, the the what you're building may not resonate with that. So that's kind of an important component there. So if you'd actually build it for small businesses instead of for agencies, do you think you would have had the success that you've had up to this point? Or do you think that that's something that uh, maybe a happy yeah, accident that works sure well? About it. Um, well, a lot of the users on our platform are actually startups and small businesses. Okay. But not about the number of users. It's, um, you know, if are you making money, basically? Again, right, question. right. Um, there's no charity business. So, um, still like most, most of our actual business, like paying customers and all of that, it's actually like the agencies, consultants, freelancers, etc. So, uh, it's more that audience. And this is like, it's much easier for those guys to use our platform than for startups and SMBs, even though there are more demands on the other side, I would say. Um, so it's, it's an interesting kind of thing, but you know, most businesses, what they say, you have 80%. Maybe a volume, but only twenty percent really matters, right? Right. <laughs> we are kind of in that bucket. It's just kind of sure. the same thing. Maybe even ninety percent for us, I would say. So you have ninety percent of the users who are like startups and SMBs, but then we have ten percent who are actually like agencies and stuff, um, who are actually like the more important customers. I would say that we have so far. Um, but we are definitely bringing more um, startups and SMBs as well as direct businesses who are also bigger and marketing teams. Um, so those is like um, a part that we have been evaluating a lot. And this is the part where it's easier to scale as well. And sometimes we would refer like if there is no marketing team, we would also refer to our agency and marketer users. If there is a marketing team, you know, but maybe they don't want to have work with an agency. Uh, for whatever reasons, um, you know, in that case, they can still use our platform as marketers. Um, so there is, we are trying to figure out the ecosystem and all those workflows still. I would say that's an ongoing process, of course, but um, overall, we also have onboarded a bigger team right now that is more like um, able to support also clients that, you know, want to use the platform, maybe have the budget to even use the platform, but maybe there's a learning curve, so to say. So we are doing the training materials, better onboarding, and having also the team behind you to help help you use actually the platform until you're fully comfortable with it. Nice. Yeah, that's a really good handoff and get yeah. somebody that's, you know, activated and using it and, and succeeding and then be able to, to hand it off to them. But it's not just product led growth where you throw it over the fence and try it and hope you figure it out. Uh, so that's yeah. where a lot of companies I see go wrong is they think that that's, it's, that's all it is. It's so easy. Anybody can use it. Uh, but yeah, it's we were not. trying to do that <laughs> in the beginning. I would say that didn't exactly work the way we were expecting it to work. So I would not rely, especially not in the early stages, maybe in the later stage, but not in early stages on like food, BLG, um, which is product wide growth, um, and, and really have at least a combination of, you know, like some kind of a support on boarding. Because in the first like when you just launch something, you're still trying to figure out, you know, the feedback, how users are actually, you know, on the platform, where they click, where they don't click and stuff like this. Lots of tools, like we use Hotjar internally. I don't know what everyone sure. is using today's, but uh, we use Hotjar to, to also figure out and see how people are actually using the platform. 
with all those recordings going here and there, um, hit maps as well. But I think recordings are the ones that are actually more valuable um, part of that. So really seeing how people actually are using the platform is a key. Yeah, that's really important because users don't know the script. Yeah, they, they do things that you would never expect. Yeah, exactly. They click in places where you're like, why are you clicking there? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then from the yeah. user side, they're like, well, why didn't that work? That makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah, definitely try to learn really from good users. feedback loop. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's very important. And and users is the, it's also like building and understanding your first hundred fans, right? That are going to help you scale. Um, so I think, um, and then from 1000, uh, going to 1000 and after that, like, for example, right now we have 2200. So like next goal is 5,000, like let's get to 5,000 and then we have like 10,000. Right. So then it's like milestones. So what are the big mistakes that companies make in their marketing? Yeah. Well, I would say going for the wrong customers must probably be the main, main one okay. uh, or not. Uh, even where where to shoot. I had an interesting conversation with uh, one of the startups earlier this week, and they were just literally like brainstorming and asking me, who do you think we should target? Is it going to be this audience or this audience or that audience? And I'm like, oh my God, haven't you figured it out yet? <laughs> Go talk to the customers, please. Like, um, yeah, I would say like definitely trying to figure out who is the audience and then also talking with the audience because um, lots of startups just try to automate uh, everything from the very start. And that, that I think is like a big, big issue. You need to really, really like speak with your customers and try to understand how, you know, how they're currently doing whatever you're trying to solve, right. With your platform, like, uh, what are their challenges with their current process? Like do the whole mom test thing, like right. read the book. You haven't done it yet <laughs> and figure out uh, really really that part so that I would say that's most probably number one issue number two issue that I see happening all the time as well is like launch your campaigns and try to identify you know your strategy from from the advertisements after you have launched advertisements like first launch an advertising campaigns and then try to figure out your strategy um, so I feel like that's like literally the opposite of what it should be. So usually I would recommend first, you know, collect the data, try to figure out the strategy, some basics in place, and then shoot with the advertising campaigns. Um, I, I hear stories every single day, including this morning, by the way, about companies that just went, spent lots of money on ads before they even tried to set their full website or something else in place. So, um, so yeah, I would say like that's maybe a big no no go. Um, it's just kind of a waste wasting uh, the budget there. But yeah, I think like you should be mindful of of the strategies and try to figure out the strategy first before going with paid media. And of course, we are a paid media platform, so I should be telling you like yes, go spend all <laughs> go money. spend a bunch of money. <laughs> uh, but really, like you should figure out what are you doing like try to narrow down as much as possible your audience, try to figure out the best channels for that audience and only then do your ads because like you may like, Oh, I'm just going to put a put bunch of Facebook ads out there, but that maybe your audience isn't even on Facebook. Like what's it going to tell you, right? Like what's the messaging? Like right. you're going to just test hundred different copies <laughs> of messaging. <laughs> that people don't even know who you're targeting. Like, 
that's the opposite of what it should be. First, try to figure out what the competitors or alternative solutions in the market are doing. Try to figure out who you're going to be targeting or at least a few segments. Let's test a few segments, right? Let's test it out. Then try to really figure out and speak with those people representing those segments like, okay, well, where where do you communicate, right? Like, where do you engage with brands? Like, where what's this content? Like, what's the problems? All that stuff, right? And then based on that, figure out the strategy and then launch your ad campaign. Right, right. Um, so there's just like the steps that need to happen before you even launch your ad campaigns. I think that is some really, really good advice because I mean, I know you see it and, and I do as well, just a, what I call random acts of marketing. And so it's, we're going to try this. We'll throw this out there. Well, I ran an ad and it didn't work. Okay. And, and so, but having that strategy and really kind of taking a step back, that's not the fun stuff, but that's what makes the ads effective. That's what generates revenue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, random acts of marketing is a really nice way of putting it. But yeah, it's um, I, I just feel like most of the startups do it this way. And it's just like completely the opposite. And I still don't know why why they keep on doing it. We <laughs> did the same thing. All over again. <laughs> well, because um, they haven't met you in Growth Channel yet. Maybe. Yeah, everyone needs to try it out. Do the planning first before you advertise for sure. Like try to figure out what, what, what you're doing in the first place. <laughs> So if somebody's going to create a marketing strategy, marketing plan, what would be the first few steps of, of doing that and doing it well? Yeah. Well, you need to know with the industry you're playing in, um, maybe a few competitors or if there are no competitors, if you're an innovative new product, what's the alternatives that people use today? Right. I want to, to know an industry that. where there aren't any competitors because I want to go do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I, I can tell you a little secret, which hopefully is not the secret, but basically lots of startup founders, tech founders specifically think there is no other solution like what they're building. Right, right. So uh, they're like, there's no competitors. Like, okay, great. Well, their people are doing something right. to solve for that issue you're addressing, right? So what are they using today? <laughs> so that is what I call competitors. Yes. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean direct competitors. It could be like indirect competitors, right? Alternatives. Um, so that's definitely key. Um, try to summarize your product or service in like a few words, not a whole paragraph, but basically like, what do you do? <laughs> like, what's the platform? Is it an HR platform? Are you doing recruitment? Like, are you doing, what, what does it do? Like, is it the insurance marketplace? Like there should right. be a shorter version to describe what is your business. A lot of startups are struggling with that um, because they're like, we just, we are like, we are this big blockchain DAO, I don't know, Web3, right, all right. the possible words in it. But like, what does it do? Yeah, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what's the pain point that you're solving? What's the solution? So like, um, that's an important component to know. And then trying to figure out at least on a high level, like what, What's the objective you're trying to achieve for a specific campaign launch? If you want to launch a campaign, like what's going to be your goal? Is it number of users or do you want to revenue or is it, are you going to do B2B or B2C? Like at least, you know, right. Is, what's the strategy there? Very like high level stuff. Those are like the very minimum things you should know to be able to figure out your marketing plan and strategy. So what are things that should not go into a marketing plan or strategy? Yeah, well, of course, like it can be very big or it could be very small, but um, 
definitely things that should go there is like, what's the market right now? And like, where do we stand in that market? Right. Where do we want to be? What's our positioning? Um, you know, who we're targeting, which channels we're going to be targeting. What's our budget, if anything, like, right. Then figuring out the KPIs and what, what's our content direction for that. Right. So those are, I would say the basic things. And those are some of the elements that we also have inside our um, marketing planning module. I would say the things that maybe should not be there. Yeah, I mean, like you can put anything there. Like if you work with a big marketing agency, they most probably are going to dump your font and your colors and your, um, of course, logo is important and stuff. And maybe branding is important too, but I don't know how important it is for early stage startups or like too early. If you're like too early, I don't know if font makes a huge difference, but you know, <laughs> at some point it will make a difference. Most probably when you want to set up the brand and recognition, I would say that's important as a marketer, but depending how early or late you are, it may be less important if you know what I mean. Yes. Um, yes. But um, I mean, like it could be anything, um, but if you're uh, a tech startup, you know, really try to figure out the audience, the market that you're going to play with and also go niche, try to validate the idea, try to, really conquer that initial audience and initial market and then scale from there. Um, I think a lot of the, um, a lot of the solutions out there and startups, they also try to go very broad and then narrow down, which is not always working very well. Uh, but sometimes it does. Um, but I think a better strategy uh, as a lot of also like accelerators and VCs would also tell, like you start with some certain market, like smaller market, and then you expand from there into other verticals or other channels, right? So um, I think that's that's a great way to really verify your product uh, market fit in a way, right? And, and then really scale from there. And uh, if you're able to get to a um, million uh, dollar in revenue with, um, you know, one or a few segments, then you can easily scale it and figure it out the way. Uh, to expand that into other verticals. So I think it's definitely something to consider. Um, And the way we have done it, I mean, like we're still a startup, of course, although we've been around for three years. Um, So we are, for example, for advertising specifically, we are are starting with programmatic advertising, but we are starting to already uh, work on some of our social integrations, which I will most probably launch in the next quarter. Uh, in Q3, I, I hope to launch uh, some of the social channels at least um, and maybe adding more towards Q4 as well. So like trying to expand into other channels as well. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah, really focusing in and then growing out of that is, uh, yeah. is definitely the way to go. Yeah, definitely. And also just trying to see maybe where is the biggest problem in the market, right? And then try to solve on that problem and then you can tackle other nice to have kind of things later. So trying to figure out what's must have and big problem versus a less of a problem and where you can add just more value versus solve a big issue. Sure. And what's your thought about companies and particularly you know, tech startups doing brand focused ads versus doing things that have a direct call to action? Yeah. Well, as a marketer, I'm going to tell you that, of course, you know, there's a journey that people go through. So their awareness is an important part of like building trust and like seeing your brand maybe, well, quite many times, actually, until I I may want to buy or sign up or do something with you. Right. So um, and it's not necessarily with ads. uh, So there are many other channels out there. Right. So it, it can be content. It can be email. It can be social. 
um, could be podcasts, it could be anything, right? It could be influencers. But it takes a certain number of times I'm going to hear about your brand to build that trust and foundation, which is like the awareness phase, which is what you call more brand-related content, right? Um, and then being able to get me to the consideration and conversion when I'm actually... Oh, I'm in the market for the next software platform to manage my financials. Which one am I going to use? And then I'm going to do the comparison and I'm like, oh, everyone told me so much about QuickBooks and I really like them, Intuit company. And they, you know, I heard about them everywhere. So I'm going to use that, for right. example, right? Um, versus zero, which maybe I heard less about. And, you know, I'm not sure. I've never heard about it, right? right so it's right. like, yeah, uh, it's like those those kind of subconscious kind of decisions that people would take um, on a more behavioral, psychological level, right? So you definitely need that awareness in one phase or the other. So lots of startups would do like also like building a community, right? Making sure you have social following. Some startups do building in public, which is kind of cool, I think, yes. right? So some network, um, um, you know, content, being a podcast or, or videos or blog or whatever. Um, you know, there are so many tools these days to make that work. It does not necessarily have to be ads. Of course, ads is part of the strategy and we have sure. an ads platform. So definitely everyone do that. There are many other channels <laughs> that you can consider in addition to just run blind ads. Actually, when you're an early stage startup, you most probably don't want to spend too much time on the ads and you want to really narrow down your audience. So if you're too early, uh, the only ads I would most probably suggest you to run is like remarketing campaigns or very narrow niche targeting campaigns that are, you know, that people are have very high value of, you know, high propensity of being converted, right? Make sure you set up all the tracking in place to actually see the ROI and see the people who are converting from your ads, not just blindly going, throwing ads out there. And then I would say that call to action with the sign up uh, will most probably should be coming after people have already visited your site at least a few times. So um, for the ones that are remarketing campaigns, yes, lead them to like a lead magnet, which I call just like offer something super valuable, like a research template, checklist, I don't know, white paper, infographic, whatever you do there. Uh, something super valuable uh, that people will want to leave their contact information on. So get that opt-in and make people want to work with you. Have that. And then once people have done that part, then tell them, oh, yeah, let's schedule a demo, start a free trial and whatever else. So have that awareness component, then drive them to become a lead to like on the first stage, right? So like get the, give them something valuable. Maybe it's a webinar, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's something else that I'm going to really appreciate that's somewhat related to what you're actually doing with your tech platform. And then you're going to tell me, oh, it's nice, uh, you know, to have the conversation. We see that you've watched our webinar. We've seen that you have downloaded this and that. Would you like to see how you can do this on our platform? Let's schedule a free trial. Let's schedule a demo call, whatever. So make sure there are those steps in place because if I have never heard about you, I don't think I'm going to sign up for the demo. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes a lot of sense. It's really, it's, it's not just a one-off or, you know, doing an ad, but it just goes back to what you were talking about with the strategy, have a plan, have, you know, steps. And so everyone moves them one step closer to a yes or to a demo or whatever your, your goal is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, I call it customer decision journey, but you can call it whatever you want, the funnel, you know, there are many words for it. Sure. Um, in our platform, 
customer journey. And there are always steps that you go through, you know, your buying journey. I may see, I don't know, uh, this morning I was reading a newsletter from Apple uh, and some discounts, but they only apply for Nike uh, store, you know, <laughs> like, so I actually have to go to Nike store. And then I'm like, some people may tell me about Nike. So then I may be like, shit, I need to go buy new Nike shoes. To, <laughs> right. You know, special things there so like there are certain steps that people take and their awareness stages and then that consideration phase until you're actually ready to buy and you want to most probably also get more people who have bought they're happy with your product or service um, so then they can tell all their friends about how awesome you are because then you can skip the whole awareness stage and dive right into consideration that's the key that's where referrals uh, come through and all that stuff that's great where can people learn more about you and about Growth Channel online? Yeah, that's um, the best question. <laughs> so that's uh, growthchannel.com. So if you guys are interested in learning more about your audiences, uh, generating your marketing plan using AI, um, which is also data-driven, and of course, doing better advertising, um, check our website, growthchannel.com. And yeah, let's schedule a call to chat more about your business. Outstanding. And we'll make sure and link that in the show notes. Marina, really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for being on SaaS Fuel. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks again, Marina, for coming on the show and sharing your journey, wisdom, and insights. You know, I absolutely love what you're building. I see tons and tons of solutions in, in the, the work that I do. And rarely is something you know, I see just completely game-changing. And I think Growth Channel is that 100%. Uh, you can learn more about Marina and Growth Channel at growthchannel.com. Let them know you heard about them on the podcast here. And uh, I don't know, maybe they'd be a special deal for you. We'll see. But you should definitely check them out. Uh, it, it really is a game changer. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. Uh, hit the like and subscribe button. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Episode Shorts Training. You can you know, see what's going on here in Hawaii as well. There's some cool things happening. And so everybody who subscribes this week gets an inflatable palm tree. How about that? It's wind resistant. And yes, will make your living room feel like a tropical paradise like here in Hawaii. <laughs> Join us next time on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series for Kate DeLeo. She's a brand architect and number one best-selling author whose approach is rooted in the belief that brand is the path of least resistance to revenue. Now, reputation is so important in today's marketing landscape. And then next Tuesday... Founder Jeff Jekyll, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Client Giant. They are revolutionizing client engagement and employee engagement. It's a brilliant idea to help business leaders realize and reimagine their role in the happiness of employees and creating loyalty for their clients. Really, really cool things that they're doing over there. You'll love hearing from Jeff and Kate on Thursday. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!